You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone. This is Angie from All Creatures Podcast. I am so excited for this interview today, as we will be talking all about sea turtles. I am so excited for this interview today, as we will be talking all about sea turtles and what happens to wild sea turtles that are injured, rescued, rehabilitated, and then released back into the wild. And I'm super lucky to have not only one, but two sea turtle caretakers and expert rehabilitators with me on the podcast today. I'll be joined with Shannon Gann and Jess Patterson that both work at the Brevard Zoo Sea Turtle Healing Center. We'll be talking all about why sea turtles are so important and why we must conserve the oceans where they live and the beaches where they lay their eggs. And Shannon and Jess will also dive into what it's like to work with their sea turtle patients and what goes into the great care, rehabilitation, and release of these sea turtles. So welcome to the podcast, Shannon and Jess. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for having us. Oh, thank you for being here. I mean, living in Florida and just in general, sea turtles are such a part of our culture and they're everybody's favorites. So I just, I'm really excited to talk all about sea turtles. And before we really get started, I have both of you that I'm interviewing today. So some of the questions i I'll have both of you answer, uh, but then I'll I'll pick on one of you for uh, questions as we move forward. But to get started with, can you both uh, tell me a little bit about yourself? What's your background? Did you always want to work in the zoo? And was there an aha moment that solidified your love to work with animals and nature? And Shannon, I'll let you go first. Okay, so my name is Shannon, and I am I have been blessed to be able to work with threatened and endangered species for over 20 years throughout the Gulf of Mexico and all the way up the Atlantic coast. So I started working, I graduated and started working with turtles predominantly back in uh, 2001. So was it's been a long fall and I've had, I've been blessed to be able to work with a variety of different animals, right whales, sharks, sea turtles, um, I've had the opportunity to work with some manatees and the southeastern beach mouse and other species species of beach mice. So I've had a lot of opportunities as field biologists. My background's not medicine. So when 
they worked out the space center actually for I was contracted through uh, two or three different companies that was were out of the space center here in uh, Brevard County, Florida, and we went through some uh, changes with our contracts. And unfortunately, I got laid off. So I actually came to the Brevard Zoo and became a volunteer. So my husband was able to um, kind of let me have that opportunity. And I was very lucky because they actually created a position for me because at that time there was only one, the manager of the, of the Seatrail Healing Center here and that person. So I, they created a position for me and I never, I didn't, I wouldn't work in a zoo, but it wasn't something I never thought of. I, I worked at Seatrail for a short time as a teenager um, and kind of thought, oh, I'm going to save the manatees. That was my jam. But sea turtles really captured my heart. And also the money and funding that was available to do a lot of the work that I got to do was driven by sea turtles and understanding what kind of hooks in commercial fisheries actually hook turtles. And if they can actually, if they swallow them, can pass them out and instead of being, you know, uh, die from the ingestion of hooks. So um, there was a lot of different motivation behind that. I have been blessed and I always thought that if I didn't work as a wildlife biologist, I would want to work in rehab because I oftentimes as a biologist brought those sick turtles to someone to care for, but never really knew what happened. So being on the medical side and being blessed to have two board certified zoo vets here at the Bird Zoo take care of our animals and I they set up our treatment plans and we just follow right through. They're right here to take care of any um, you know traumatic situations that arise. Oh, that's so awesome. What a what a perfect fit. And uh, yeah, you're living like a lot of people's dream jobs right now. So I can't wait to learn more. And Jess, how about how about yourself? How did you get involved uh, with the Brevard Zoo Sea Turtle Healing Center? Well, my interest in animals started way back when I was young. I was lucky to have been surrounded by a lot of animals growing up. Um, my we had like we had a good amount of land. We were able to have horses, goats, sheep, dogs, cats, birds, fish. Like I was surrounded by animals, and it was just—I mean, it, it was just like a, a natural thing for me to really want to work with animals. I was an avid swimmer growing up. I loved being in the water. And growing up in San Diego, I had beautiful ocean right there, um, and perfect temperature year round. Yes, <laughs> I have to mention that. No, no, I it was very blessed to grow up in an area like that or um and then having that ocean influence as well so i knew from a young age that i wanted to work with ocean animals and it i don't know what it was but i just loved reptiles and fish if it was cold and scaly that was my jam <laughs> that i just love reptiles amphibians fish the whole thing later on kind of in high school i was i was kind of whittling it down to i want to study sharks or sea turtles you know, sea turtles being one of very few marine reptiles, it just kind of made sense to me to that I love re sea turtles. And I started working at SeaWorld San Diego when I was 19, and I was an aquarist. So I took care of their sea turtles, their fish, um, any of their, their rays, their large sharks, um, giant Pacific octopus, giant Japanese spider crabs. If it didn't have feathers and it wasn't a mammal, it was essentially in my in my department. I started there as one of their sea turtle caretakers. Um, and by my overall moment was like the first time I got to hold a sea turtle. It was this little juvenile green turtle and we were putting them on exhibit for the first time. And I mean, it's slapping me, it's pooping on me. It's upset that I'm holding it. But that moment I was just like, 
I don't something clicked and I was like, this is the one I want to do the rest of my life. <laughs> um, I quickly be kind of worked my way up and I kind of became their go-to sea turtle person. And when I was working at SeaWorld, I also would also would work with groups like National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration out there at the Scripps Institute. I um, would go out and help them um, catch local turtles for their population studies, obviously release them after we tagged them and took samples. And I stayed at SeaWorld for eight years. And about six years in, I decided that I really wanted to take my passion for sea turtles and um, really take it up a notch. And the next step from there was rehab. Because like we would only have maybe two or three turtles that would come in a year that actually needed rehabilitation care. Most of my experience was with their captive turtles. And I really, like, I loved the turtles that I got to work with there, but I wanted to do more for their you know, their family out in the ocean. So I started school for veterinary nursing through Purdue and I just graduated this last December and I'm going to sit for my boards end of April. So no pressure. Fingers Um, crossed. You got this girl. That's exciting. So exciting. Yeah. So uh, I came to the Brevard Zoo in 2018 um, for this position. And I mean, I never even been to Florida in my entire life, but the job description was exactly what I wanted to do. (laughs) I just... You know, I, I took that leap and it was the best decision I ever made. Oh, uh, yeah. That's so awesome. And it is sounds like such a great fit. And so just really quick, uh, Shannon, what is your title or role at the Brevard Zoo Sea Turtle Healing Center? So um, my role is considered the Sea Turtle Programs Manager. So that is the title and that kind of covers... Uh, Jess and I do a lot of the same things, but that covers uh, taking care of all of the patients, all of their paperwork, because these are threatened species. And then we also have an army of about 70 volunteers that Jess and I manage together. Wow, 70 volunteers. Well, that's awesome. I definitely want to talk about that a little bit later on in the podcast. And Jess, how about you? My official title is Sea Turtle Program Coordinator. Uh, so again, our... Shannon and I do a lot of the same stuff, um, whether it's paperwork side or the hands-on side or husbandry side. Uh, we our our tasks over compass each other. Yeah, it's kind of like as uh, I always love. I love in like the zookeeping descriptions. It's like blah blah blah, and all their duties needed, <laughs> which is a catch-all. Yeah. They're animals. They always there's always something mm-hmm. that you can't play on. Always so. something. Mm-hmm. Well, and I definitely we're going to talk a lot about your day-to-day job and the the specific turtles you work with. But really quick for our listeners out there, I just want to get them excited about sea turtles and understanding the conservation plight of sea turtles. So Shannon, I was wondering if you could just give us a brief background on the different species of sea turtles, which of them are endangered, and since you are based in Florida, which of these species nest up and down the coastline of Florida? So there are seven species of sea turtles worldwide. Five of those species use our waterways and the Atlantic coast, of course, um, or uh, at certain times in their, I guess, in their life cycles. So they use it at different times in their life cycles. Um, We have three species that commonly nest on our beaches. The leatherback sea turtles um, have already started. They start in around February, so they have already started laying eggs. And then the loggerhead sea turtles, which are the most abundant of all 
of all those three species, they will start coming in probably close to um, and, and um, about a month later or so, or just a month and a half later, we'll start seeing green sea turtle laying there. Um, so uh, those are the predominantly what we see nesting on our beaches here. Um, every now and then there'll be a Pimps Ridley that'll come up. Last year, I think we had four confirmed nests, three confirmed individuals on our beaches here just in Brevard County. Leatherbacks actually nest more abundantly down south in the Jupiter area from us. Um, we, we do get a handful of leatherback nests. So uh, for the rehab side of things, we predominantly see juvenile green turtles, which are what we call dinner plate size. And then we see sub-adult water, which are maybe like 60 pound to 65 or 80 pound. It could be a variety of sizes. We, that's what we see, that sub-adult size because that can be anywhere from 60 centimeters to 90 centimeters in care. Wow. So very, that's predominantly what we see in re um, for species besides washbacks. And that's every, so. <laughs> and how are these turtles doing in the wild? Are they all, all those species endangered or threatened? So um, all sea turtles, all marine turtles um, are listed as those seven species are all listed um, as either threatened or endangered. Um, they recently downlisted the Atlantic green turtle um, from endangered to threatened because um, the population is trending up. And um, a lot of times yes. you notice if they're list based mostly because of their nesting habitat, they need uh, sandy, clean, sandy beaches um, uh, that are free of erosion and uh, condominiums <laughs> and places that people live, able to lay those eggs. So oftentimes that's what a part of that cycle of trying to figure out whether or not they're going to be threatened or endangered, whether they have a safe place to lay their eggs, and whether the water is safe for them as well. We're environment to make sure we, we keep both of those areas clean and, and healthy for those animals. Yeah, definitely. And and Jess, I was wondering if you could touch, touch on the ecosystem role of sea turtles, because they live both in the ocean and they come, of course, onto our beaches. Why, why should people care? Why should people want to help save them, keep the oceans clean, keep the beaches clean? Uh, what, what's your take on that? Well, they are considered a keystone species. Um, and what that means is if they are removed from the environment, say they go extinct, the ecosystem could fall apart, that they are crucial to maintaining um, balance. So um, if you look at the seven different species, they all kind of eat something different for the most part. So I'm just going to use green turtles as an example. They're kind of our landscapers. So they eat seagrass and algae, and they prevent one species of algae or seagrass from outcompeting the other. And they maintain balance that way. They are, um, and then all the species of sea turtles, um, it this is the sound part about sea turtles, but they feed the environment um, at every stage of their life. They are a food source to something before they even hatch out of the egg. Um, if they don't successfully hatch and or the egg, like the egg itself is viable, um, that becomes nutrients for the beach, which feeds the plants that are in the dunes. So and then once they emerge from the nest, they are food source to lots of birds crabs fish oh when they, um, yeah when they're other... doing that cute little scuttle out to the ocean yeah. oh, they're moving targets yeah yeah i i 
there was a hot minute where I really wanted to be an underwater cinematographer for like Nat Geo. But then I thought about those moments and, and like catching them on camera and then not intervening. I was like, yeah, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I I agree. I it would be, I, I'd have to intervene myself, which is yeah. why I sit behind a, um, a microphone and <laughs> not out in the field. Yeah. So again, they, they're a food source and, and as juvenile, sub-adult, adult, they are food to larger prey like sharks. And we are finding, this is something that I just found out recently, the large goliath groupers that like to come in, um, there is suspicion that those, the larger population of goliath groupers is eating smaller turtles now, <laughs> which, I mean, they can totally fit in their mouth and that's a goliath grouper, so they're going to eat whatever they can get their their mouth around. <laughs> so they're sneaking suspicion. So there's stuff like that. Um and then, you know, again, it just depends on your species, what they are doing and what they're that balance that they're maintaining. So, again, every step of their life, they are important to either feeding the environment or maintaining balance in the environment. Well, yeah. And 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 main like two different environments. Right. You have the like the dunes and how they're the sand and how they're helping that environment. And then, of mm-hmm. course, how they're maintaining the ocean environment, whether uh, they eat grass or fish or uh, squid or whatever they're eating. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's just they're really, really critical to oceans and beaches. And and so I really want to get uh, get diving in here to the Sea Turtle Healing Center. And so. Shannon, I'm going to pick on you first to talk about this incredible center, uh, the Brevard Zoo Sea Turtle Healing Center. What is the mission? And can you just tell us a little bit about the facility? Help give a visual. Is it on Brevard Zoo grounds? When did it open? How many sea turtles are there? How many tanks? Uh, Staff? Is it open to the public? If you could just help explain a few of those things about the Brevard Zoo Sea Sea Turtle Healing Center. Sure. So um, the overarching mission of our Brevard Zoo is to share our joy of nature to help wildlife and people thrive. So that is also part of what our Sea Turtle Healing Center does. Our internal mission for the Healing Center is to actually get turtles back to the wild. We don't want to have captive animals. We want to rehabilitate and release so the Brevard Zoo actually originally uh, opened their doors back in 1994, and this was a grassroots organization, and people literally came out with their hammers and nails and built this. I'm actually from the area. I, lived, I was raised in Cocoa Beach. So this was a, a really big under um, for uh, the community to be part of, and our healing center became part of the zoo in 2014. Um, there was a need because Brevard County is 70 miles coast, as it's a coastline and then all of our waterways as well. And um, there is an organization um, called the Sea Turtle Preservation Society in um, operation for about 30 years. Oh. Transfer and transport turtles because there was not a facility in Brevard County all the way to Orlando or over to the Volusia um, uh, County. Um, or they would have to go down south in beach area for rehabilitation. So for us, it worked out um, to partner with that the Sea Turtle Healing Center, and we were able to um, become the healing center through a donation that that Sea Turtle Preservation Society helped us with. We do not receive funding yearly from 
Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. They just give us our permitting. We don't have any other um, groups that give us funding yearly. The most of everything that we do is actually based upon people coming to the zoo and seeing our animals. Our Sea Turtle Healing Center is not on display. We are behind the zoo's hospital because this is a is a treatment area, so we're off display. Um, and um, that means that people don't have a place in Burr County to actually come see live swimming sea turtles. And that's one of the reasons that um, we are excited as the East Coast Zoological Society to actually promote and, and start an aquarium project, which will be built down in our, uh, in the Port Canaveral area. So um, this is kind of what we do at our healing center. Our facility has um, 15 tanks. And we are able to accommodate with two staff members, just Justin and I, two dedicated staff members. We have some support staff as well. And of course, we have our board certified zoo vets and we have two CBT certified physicians. They all work for the zoo and work to say to help the over 900 animals within the zoo. And then they help also to support us taking care of about 20 patients. Um, on average, we get in um, about a hundred patients a year. Wow. So at any time we can have anywhere from uh, normally our load is about 20 patients that we just and I can handle oh, at wow. one time because in theory, they're all sick. So we're trying to, you know, if they're at different stages of their, of their wellness journey, but that's how um, we operate. And with a third person, maybe one day we might be able to do more because our tanks will support that. So we have room to grow and we're going to grow with our new aquarium as well. Wow, Shannon, that is so exciting about uh, the new project, the new aquarium. And uh, we'll definitely be keeping tabs on the Brevard Zoo and this new project. So you'll have to set me up with some people we can talk to about that. That'd be awesome. And I should let our listeners know, too, that uh, Shannon and Jess work in a very busy facility. And uh, there is a little bit of background noise on Shannon's end because she's in the middle of like a hospital workroom area. So the the animals and the sea turtles need stuff all the time. And so if you do hear a little bit of background noise, that's why. But I, I wanted to get her on talking to us and taking her her time, uh, her precious time today, because I know you two are very busy. And so thank you for being here. And in talking, and Shannon, mentioned, you mentioned that you said you have about 20 patients at a time or over 100 sea turtles in a typical year. So Jessica, I'm wondering if you could talk about some of the most common injuries or illnesses that your sea turtle patients typically present with and how do you address them? So our most common injuries like, is just kind of general debilitation. And what that means is, I don't know what made you sick, but I'm going to treat what I see. Um, and what when I say that we're seeing an increased number in, say, boat strikes or fishing line, entanglement, ingestion, that could also be because the local population of turtles is growing. We like, like Shannon said, the Atlantic green turtle is taken off of the endangered list. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah. But, but that means that there's more turtles out there to get in trouble, especially those little juvenile green turtles. They always find trouble. Um, so again, like our, our most common injuries are just general debilitation. So parasites can get to them and kind of wear them down get their immune system down then they get an infection um boat strikes we get a lot of carapace and facial damage 
for, um, to patients from boats. So if you think about it, um, the sea turtles, when they come up to breathe, the first thing that comes up is their head. And so we, um, it was kind of weird in the last, I don't know, year, we've been seeing a lot more facial injuries and unfortunately a lot of those are fatal. And then we've been dealing with a lot of fishing line ingestment. So it's not just entanglement where they're wrapped up in it, it's they are eating it too. And these are, when I say like these illnesses, it's a majority of our patients are these juvenile green turtles. So what happens is these little juvenile green turtles, they like to hang out in rocky areas where there's nice seagrass and algae growing on those rocks. Well, you know what's also around rocks? Fish. You know what also brings fish? Fishermen. So you have a lot of fishermen, and um, you know, unintentionally weaving strands of fishing line. Like if that fishing line gets hooked in the rocks, they cut it. And so you have now this very dangerous chunk of fishing line that is wrapped up in the green turtle's food source. So it's not that they are actually, you know, intentionally eating the fishing line. They're like, oh, that looks yummy. Like they can't, they probably can't really even see it. It's just wrapped up in their food and they're eating it. So what happens is that fishing line can get stuck in their, uh, in their GI as it's passing through. And then the, um, the, the intestines will start to contract and try to move this linear foreign body and fishing line, um, at some point, it'll get so tight that it'll cut through the GI. So these turtles that ingest fishing line, like it is a very slow and painful death for them if they don't make it to rehab. Um, and that's like when I talk about this to fishermen, um, I just like I, I say every time you cast, there is a chance that you're going to leave fishing line in the ocean which is going to become a problem for another animal. So, you know, take it seriously. It It is. It's dangerous to these animals. And, you know, I don't ever want people to, like, stop fishing or, you know, stuff like that. It's just you, you need to take it a little bit more seriously and really try to get your line back if you can. Um, so fishing line, boats, um, again, general debilitation, and then we also deal with something called fibropapillomatosis. We just call it FP. Uh, I like that. That's I, yeah. It seems like a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. So um, FP is a herpes virus. It is the colonid herpes virus. And what this virus does is it creates under a stressful environment. The turtle will grow these large benign tumors that look kind of like uh, cauliflower or broccoli. But the problem is that these tumors will grow so cumbersome that it's hard to swim. It'll grow in their eyes and they can't see. Um, other places around the world, uh, we don't see it too often here, but it'll start growing in their mill and it'll actually suffocate them. So it is, it is a nasty disease. And we are one of seven facilities that can take FP patients. So there's 17 facilities in the state of Florida that cares for sea turtles and only seven of them actually does FP work. Um, and then it's, it's, a, it's a large undertaking. These turtles typically stay twice as long, two to three times as long as non-FP patients. They undergo multiple surgeries to remove these tumors. And since it's a herpes virus, it's never going to leave. But the, there is the chance that it'll grow back. But our job is to, what we do is we remove the tumors and we get them back to health and then release them. And hopefully they won't find another stressful situation to cause those tumors to bloom. Um, 
So, and then we're doing a couple pretty cool things um, in regards to FP and how we we treat FP. Well, yeah, Jess. I mean, you paint a real visual picture with the boat strikes and the fishing, the fishing line, of course, the FP uh, virus. Uh, And so just a a quick follow up question for you, Jess. How do you usually get your hands on these turtles? Is it the fishermen that are bringing them in, boaters? uh, Are people out patrolling looking for them? Are Are they on the beach? How do they come to you? Um, all of those. <laughs> so we will occasionally get boaters. We'll find really buoyant green turtles. They can't dive. And then the the boaters will call Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation nice. Commission to get permission to hold, to care for the turtle. So they'll bring the turtle on the boat and bring it to shore. And then we work with a, a couple groups out here, um, like Sea Turtle Preservation Society and Coastal Connections down in Bureau. They are two groups of volunteers that actually help bring stranded turtles to our facility um because with just shannon and i we we don't have we unfortunately don't have time to go and retrieve the turtles and the great thing about these groups is that they're they're permitted individuals who can like are legally able to handle the turtles for us and know how to properly handle turtles so if we have patrons or just an patrons of the beach or people who come across a stranded turtle who don't know how to take care or to hold a turtle that's what's nice about these groups is that they're ready and knowledgeable on sea turtle handling. So if I'm at the beach this summer and I see a turtle that looks injured, who should I call? You always want to call Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission first. They have a few ways to contact them. You can contact them through text or just call them. Um, and even if you come across a dead turtle, you should still call FWC um, because that is great information. Dent turtle is still information that can be applied to help live turtles. Excellent points. Thank you for that. And Shannon, what I want to talk to you about is, uh, as Jess mentioned, the sea turtles come in with, let's say, line ingestion, and they're not doing well. Can you help walk us through the rehabilitation process? Uh, Is there a surgery? How long does the average sea turtle patient stay with you? And then how do you know when they are ready to be released back into the wild? Absolutely. So um, our sea turtle, kind of the process that we go through is a a sea turtle comes into us, whether it be through um, the Sea Turtle Preservation Society or maybe through Coastal Connections or any of our other partners throughout the um, the county, the neighboring counties, um, we immediately evaluate the turtle. So depending upon what time it is, Jess and I are both, um, some one of us is on call from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day, even Christmas and giving. Um, so uh, we actually will take that turtle in um, and do a uh, visual um, evaluation. We draw blood. We take a blood culture. Um, we get a weight on the turtle. We get x-rays on the turtle. We are very blessed that here at the Robert Zussi Turtle Healing Center, um, the Brevard Zoo itself has recently gotten its own CT machine, and that machine will be able to be used for our sea turtles because with any turtles that come in that FP virus, they all have to be CT because if they have internal tumors, just like mam- mammalian herpes, you can get it on the outside of your body and you can get it on the inside of your body also. You can actually in their lungs and their liver, oh, on, wow. their, on their liver, on yeah. their kidneys, 
So we want to verify and we do that by taking images with SCT. So right now we're going to the Rockwood Regional Medical Center that's owned by Stripp. They have been so gracious and offered, um, very um, generously offered to be able to see our animals for us or, or most of our sea turtles. We, Jess and I are there almost once a week. Um, and they allow us to, 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 to do that. But soon we'll have the ability to do that right here. So that'll be an important diagnostic tool. Another thing is our veterinarians will do ultrasound. Um, and what you mentioned about that line ingestion, it's very important to monitor blood values. So we would actually monitor those blood values consistently. Sometimes depends upon what the treatment plan that, the, that our veterinarians set up. So sometimes it might be every week. Sometimes it may be every, when they first come in, it might be every few days that we're taking maybe a blood glucose or a lactate reading or running a full ISTAT, which is like a little point of care um, informational uh, with the full blood that we can actually determine what's going on with the turtle. Um, and we're able to um, eventually go to once a month for those blood draws. And our non-FP patients are normally, normally rehab and released within about four months. Our FP patients take about twice that. Oh, wow. So, um, because of the surgical process, and oftentimes they come in um, much more debilitated because of that FP virus, it's something their immune system has been compromised, and that's probably why they're eating or, or actually showing the virus. Um, because the working theory through science is that most likely they have, all of them probably have this virus. We don't know how they've gotten it. Um, that's still a big question mark, but they probably have it, and their bodies are suppressing it, just like mammals can do with herpes. So, um, but that is uh, how we kind of work with getting our turtles in. We may do on some of our FP turtles, most of them are getting serial CTs. So they get CTs every month, sometimes every other month, depending upon what the situation is. Because we're watching for little that might be in the lungs or in the that might be growing um, or developing into FP. And then the same thing with our cook and line turtles, anyone who has ingested a foreign body that we are aware of, we do serial ultrasounds, so they get those every week um, and manage that and also draw blood, uh, seeing how um, that works. To be very honest, behavior is a huge part of this. And with oh, animal that's my training, jam, yes. I, yeah, yeah just animal training mm-hmm. and things like that. So if you're not eating and you're not pooping and you're kind of dull and you're and not swimming about, Maybe something's wrong, and that gets a big interest. Hey, maybe we need to run a blood, some blood. Maybe we need to another X-ray or do another ultrasound to find out why your why the behavior is off. So that's a lot of we lean on our volunteers. Our volunteers and our interns will actually monitor that because they're out there all day. Um, we have two different shifts: a morning shift and a night shift. Come in and they take care of those turtles and they document um, what they see. You know, like is the turtle pacing? The turtle using the environmental enrichment devices that we have in our house. Did the turtle eat everything? Did the turtle not eat everything? Did it take its oral medication? So those are the things that we actually ask. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places. Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan. But nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. 
This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. That is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. Yeah, it's always uh, remind our listeners. I like I love poop because as a zookeeper, like it's a sign that your animal is healthy and that it's doing what it's supposed to do, and you can actually tell a lot from the feces. And so, uh, especially with reptiles, I'm not sure. I'm not as familiar. I didn't get to work with sea turtles. I worked with box turtles and things like that but they don't typically poop every day so when you really want to monitor it and make sure that uh they they're that the system is functioning as normal and so it can really can really tell you a lot about their health but switching gears a little bit because you both have worked with so many turtle patients um over your time at the Rabard Zoo Sea Turtle Healing Center I was wondering if both of you if you could share one of your favorite sea turtle rehabilitation stories uh, and just help paint us a picture of what that's like from first meeting the turtle, caring for it, and then releasing it. And uh, Jess, I'll start with you. Okay. Well, that's a really hard question to answer. <laughs> uh, we've done some really amazing things here. I do have, I have two, but the second one, sure, but really meaningful. So the first one that comes to my mind and is this juvenile green turtle named Venus. This turtle was with us for two years. They came to us wrapped up in fishing line around their both front flippers um, to the point where that fishing line was cutting down to the humerus bone on both sides. And unfortunately, it um, it broke both humerus bone. So wow. this turtle, oh. it, when they came in, they were swimming and you could see like the humerus, the part of the humerus bone that was closest to the body you could see it moving under the skin as they're trying to swim with these front flippers that are just like dangling there. And we could have easily decided to euthanize that individual upon intake because of the severity of the injury. But it's one of those things you get a gut feeling. And it's just like you look at them and they're like, I want to I want to try. I want to pull through this. And so we put faith in Venus and, you know, it. sure enough, um, they don't. They weren't released with the prettiest humorous bones, but they, the two, or well, yeah, the two um, pieces of humorous bone that were left on each flipper, they started to fuse back together and um, re recalcify. And they were released with two totally great front flippers. 
if wow. if anything um if anything like the the humerus bones were more dense when we released them wow um yeah it was incredible how, how long was that stay how long does something like that take to heal um it was about two years and we just for the longest time we were trying to figure out if this turtle was releasable or not and honestly we were thinking that venus was not releasable probably up until two months before we actually released the animal (laughs) we were like you know what you can actually swim very well (laughs) and uh, another deciding factor was that that individual was a male and we had found out we found that way through endoscope so we went into their body cavity and found testes and since they they're a male they will not have to crawl on the beach so if there was concern about those front flippers it didn't matter um for them wow what yeah. a good story then, about Venus. That, yeah, what's the second one? I love it. This okay. is so, so this fascinating. One, this one's quick and it doesn't have uh it doesn't have a hat. Well, it depends on how you look at it. This tortoise individual did not make it out of rehab. The I'm actually looking at her skull right now. Her name is Mima. She was our largest loggerhead patient. Um and by size. But this individual was like 150 pounds underweight when they came to us. So oh they should have been closer to 400 pounds when they got to us. And they, yeah, they were 250. So it was, it was very sad. Um, she had, um, and this was one of those natural debilitation. Um, we call it, it's actually a common reference is debilitated loggerhead syndrome. Like, and that's what they call it. It's in the book. Um, and that just means, again, something made you sick. I don't know what made you sick, um, but you're debilitated and we're going to treat what we see. Looking at this animal, you could tell how old she was. And it's just like she was probably nesting, like potentially with her granddaughters, which wow. means how yeah. long she's been around. You could just tell by how much wear and tear was on her um, her beak or her rape patica, that uh, keratin bit on their, on their skull. And unfortunately, she she passed away a few days after intake. But everybody who got to meet her was just in absolute awe of her. Like she just she's just this ancient being. Yeah. And, you know, you could just see it in their eyes, how wise they are. And, you know, not every case that makes it out of here is like or not every case has a happy ending, but. Or the way, if it, not every case ends the way you want it to. We all we all, we want to release all these turtles. That is our main goal. But release can also mean a release of pain, um, and we have the ability to euthanize individuals. Um, which is, if you have a severe bone strength that uh, completely cuts the like severs the spinal cord, we can't do anything about that. So we with through euthanasia, um, it's, it would be like the same drugs that you give your cat or your dog when it's time for them to go um and we you know sedate them and use size and for uh for me ma she she actually passed on her own uh, she passed away like right in front of me it was you know one of those cool. one of those things that you have to think about if you right, want to get well. into this field is that there is unfortunately a lot of that um they're coming these animals are coming to you because they're sick and for me like I was just so happy that I could give her a quiet, warm place to pass away. And um, yeah, it was, she was awesome. Oh, Jess, thank you for sharing that heartfelt story about me, Ma. Uh, mm-hmm. She sounds like an incredible creature to spend time with and get to know. And like you said, to to help 
pass gently into the night. And so, and it is true. It's working with animals. It is, uh, we all have these huge animal hearts and we love them, but some, some aspects of animal caretaking jobs are, or animal jobs in general are, it's tough. They're not, they're not for the faint hearted. That's for sure. So, all right, Shannon. All right, Shannon, your turn to help, to help us, uh, help us feel good again, if you can. (laughs) (laughs) So my story is about more broad, um, kind of uh, my background being a field biologist. I absolutely knew that there is a difference between the way a loggerhead behaves and the way a green turtle behaves. Um, When I had the opportunity, come to the healing center and um, work with these animals and with our volunteers. Um, I have always told the story of how the very first release that I got to attend, um, everyone, what I'm, I'm used to as a field biologist, you know, the turtle in hand, the data, and then thank you for your, for your question to science. Bye. And I'm happy. Like, to go and I was super excited to be part of their one of the first releases that I got to be in and um I'm cheering go turtle I look around and everyone all the volunteers the previous manager who I was working with are is crying and I'm looking and I'm like why are all these people crying and then I'm like wait a second why am I not crying like is there something wrong with me well these being with these animals for for such a long time during their breath, their rehabilitation journey, you learn that they individually have personality. And it's where this is a labor of love. So we get in this, even though these are wild animals and we know they're going back to their wild, you know, lives that we may never see them again, while they're in our care is passion projects. We are doing this because we want to better their existence and help them to be able to become good um, you know, reproductive members of their species. So um, now have learned that, you know, each one has their own little personality. It has been really just remarkable to be able to release as many as we have and watch them go back into the wild. And I still cheer them on. There, There's a couple that I'm like, hey, I better not see you again because we have those ones that like to continue, like to hook, swallow hooks and, you know, maybe hang out around fishing piers. Um, but we are uh, very fortunate that um, we are able to, uh, you know, get them into the water and sit by and hope that maybe one day they may lay eggs or be a reproductive member on our own beaches here. We know that they are turtle because we so it's a neat opportunity. Yeah, I just got goosebumps. I mean, that is to have the full circle. Uh, is just really incredible if you get to participate in that. And and Shannon, I love that you brought up about sea turtle personalities because I didn't work with sea turtles, but I worked with enough reptiles from iguanas to skinks to ball pythons. They have reptiles have personalities. I mean, we all know our dogs and cats do, right? And there's tons of memes about them. But I mean, reptiles, they, when you spend the time with them, you really do get to know them and, and they can have uh, different personalities, big personalities, some of them. So yeah, thank you for thank you for mentioning that. And it, as a bigger reptile person myself, one of my favorite things to do is see those moments where people admit like, oh yeah, this animal totally does have personality. I have a tortoise at home, and you know I just walk them in public, like I'll go to parks and stuff like that, and you know kids will interact with them, and parents will interact with them, and like 
Like he has so much personality. I'm like, I know all reptiles do. They do. They really they do. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they're a little bit more stone cold in the face, but like, like well, we, we all perks. know we all have that that person in the office or that family member that's the same way, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, you know, it's super interesting. So, but Shannon, you had mentioned a little bit about release, uh, and so I want to turn the tables to Jess really quick and talk a little bit about what it's like to do a release, how is it done, and how does it feel to watch these patients like Venus swim off? I mean, it's the goal. It's it's the best part. Uh, well, one of the best parts. The other best part is when they hit those milestones, like where they start eating, pooping, and acting like a turtle for the first time. So release, um, you know, it kind of stuck because like during COVID, we did not do public releases anymore. Um, we just call, we call, we call it a splash and dash. <laughs> yeah, um, bring up, bring them to the beach or release them. Um, so now we're getting back from the swing of things with more public releases. And it's just so cool to see all these people lined up to see. It could be the smallest little green turtle, but there's hundreds of people there to watch this animal go back to the wild. And that, like, that's the heartwarming part is that like, seeing all these people that care enough to hop in their car, possibly drive an hour to come see this little turtle that they've never even met before go back to the ocean. So like that, that community feeling is amazing. And then, you know, for on like, on like our side, like getting, hearing all those cheers too, like it, it, it makes Shana and I feel good. Cause it's like, yeah, we did this, you know, like we helped this animal and, um, uh, you know, and then just getting them back in the ocean. So um, for me, for like Venus, um, so I was wearing my big sunglasses because I knew that I was going to be crying the whole time. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I brought Venus down there. It was like, I think our biggest release or first big release since COVID and like it. Yeah. So ton of people. I'm walking him down and, you know, I'm getting, letting everybody see him and, you know, we're talking about him and, you know, I just like the last time I'm going to see him. Yeah. After two years. Wow. Yeah. Ideally. Yeah. But ideally, this is the last time I see him. Yeah. Right. <laughs> ideally. In a, in a yeah. perfect world. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, Especially it, being a male turtle too. It's not, you know, and that was, we always bank on our turtles being females because of the feminization of. Our, a lot of our eggs and our nests um, due to global warming. Twist that later. Um, but then, so to find this, out that this turtle that I like just had so much invested time and love in was a male, and I'm just like, I'm literally never going to see you again. Yeah. <laughs> and so you do the releases on the beach and let them crawl into the ocean. You don't do them on, on a boat or anything like that. Um, it depends on the situation. We do do all three of those. We release them by hand. We let them crawl. And we also release them by boat. But it just depends on their size. Gotcha. So juveniles, then they have no reason to be on the beach. So that's why we release them by hand and in the water. Um, that's a little weird for them. Larger sub-adults to adults will let them curl back into the water. And then if we get those little washback turtles, like the little turtles that come in after hurricanes... They get those nice VIP boat rides out into the sargasm to start their life back over um, out in the middle of the ocean. Excellent. Wow. Yeah. So cool. Uh, And now, Shannon, I I was wondering, you you touched on it a little bit about tagging some of these releases. Uh, 
what are some of the ways that your team helps monitor the sea turtles after they're released? And um, and what other conservation efforts is the Brevard Zoo Sea Turtle Healing Center involved in? Okay, so when we release our turtles, we are actually part of um, a network that produces flipper tags. So they're little, it looks like earrings, but it goes in their flippers. Um, so they are external tags and it's part of the uh, RT Car Center for Sea Turtle Research. And those numbers um, are actually submitted on a data sheet and then turned into that group. And then people who find those turtles, um, whether they're divers and can see that they're, you know, our is now underwater photography, photography in general is great. Everybody's got a phone and a camera in their pocket so they can get pictures of those, um, those tags. Um, and then we also put a microchip. So it's the same kind of thing that a dog or cat has. And we put that into the right flipper normally and it's into the muscle and it will stay there permanently. Eventually those external tags may fall off over time. Um, so uh, we here at the Brevard Zoo, Sea Turtle Healing Center do not choose to satellite tag our turtles unless they are going to be part of a peer-reviewed research study. We are very big in science and we want to make sure we don't want to willy-nilly spend a whole bunch of money and potentially reduce the fitness of this turtle because we really, you know, not been um, well studied. We don't know how these tags may affect these turtles. Honestly, right now we have a little green turtle that it's one of the first ones I think that's ever been here at the facility that has a um, tag that's actually a sat tag on it. And um, our group was actually physically there um, when it was tagged by the University of Central Florida. We were doing a partnership thing. So um, some of what we do within um, the conservation side of things is we assist local universities if they need um, help with blood draws or if they need help processing. Um, we also provide samples. We have a tissue sample of a variety of different major organs of sea turtles, and that is um, something that uh, university researchers can actually come to us and say, hey, we, we are, we're, we're getting our permitting in order. Can we please have you know, all of the liver samples that you think of, you know, certain turtles in certain regions or whatever we might be able to provide. So um, that is how we provide conservation side of things. We are um, able to uh, track those turtles, bring uh, the information back. Um, a lot of times we just use our mail and say, hey, do you guys recognize this, this number? And then that's how we kind of locally do that. And then, of course, we can send it to University of Florida where the RRG person research sea turtle research. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, it's so, once again, it's so nice to share data, like you mentioned, because it is really important to use it for science and not just, like you said, willy-nilly or to, ma to make sure that uh, the if, if they are going to be tagged, that the data is being collected on them to help to help learn more about them, to prevent them coming to see you in the first place and also to help conserve them. So that that's, that's really incredible. And I also know that the Brevard Zoo is a, you know, a huge uh, proponent of outreach and education programs uh, throughout the zoo. And so Jess, I was wondering if you could touch on some of the educational and outreach programs that the Sea Turtle Healing Center 
uh, is involved with to help teach the public about the importance of healthy sea turtle populations? So we try to get out in the public as much as we can to talk turtle. Shannon and I love talking turtle. We can talk hours. <laughs> I love it. About turtles. You, need, you just need um, like turtle talk and wine and then I'm totally in. <laughs> I would totally do that. <laughs> Maybe I'll start a podcast. There you go. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Within the zoo, we have multiple things like teen programs and summer camps and groups like that. And they um, that, that is led by our education team. And our education team is awesome because they come back and they learn all about our turtles so then they can regurgitate that to um, the zoo teens and the little class classes of kids that they see all during the summer and all during the year. We go to different events. Like we went to the Beach and Boards Fest, which was on a surfing competition a few uh, a few weeks ago in March. And that was, that's always a fun event for us. So we're a front and center and people get to come and they're at the beach learning about turtles. And that's just a super fun uh, event to do. And, you know, we, if we see good opportunities for us to sneak in, uh, like, you know, we're looking at different conventions to put, like, just have a booth and talk about and be, um, talk about turtles and be present. Unfortunately, though, since it is just Shannon and I, uh, it's a little bit hard, but we also have our awesome volunteers and we have a group of our volunteers that are trained and well-educated on how to talk turtle. Um, so we, we can also rely on them. Um, so, and in terms of education, we actually take interns. Uh, we have one or two interns every semester and they, these interns ideally have an interest in veterinary medicine or conservation. Um, some interns, they come to us and they're like, I'm not sure what I want to do. I want to do, I might want to do biology or rehab. And those are two totally different uh, school paths. The last couple summers, we have actually taken in high school students um, and they come and they work with us once or twice a week. And that's just a good way to expose, um, expose them to this environment while, especially while they're in that crucial time of figuring out what I want to do. Uh, not, not all of us, not everybody is lucky like Shannon and I where we knew what we wanted to do from a very young age. Um, <laughs> and now you so, get to talk turtle every day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, th I think my lucky stars for that all the time. Um, and then things like this, like this podcast. Um, we, and then talking about uh, COVID again, during that first year, we when the zoo was closed and we were doing everything to turn the zoo inside out and make it all on social media we did turtle tuesdays which was a ton of fools more like wednesdays yeah we did on wednesdays <laughs> turtle wednesdays we did facebook live for these turtle wednesdays and we'd talk about one subject each week and we did that for a very long time we had such great results but then that was so much fun for us and uh, we I think that that really let us understand just how like the depth that we could reach yes. through mm -hmm. that social media yeah. that's just again some of the education we do and you know it could be even with other professionals too we go to conferences and we talk about things that, cool things that we've done through the year um, we work with UCF um, with their well we we 
help them during their population studies. They're nice enough to invite us out and we get to go do field work, which is really cool. Fun. Yeah. Uh, super fun stuff. And, you know, we we learn from each other. Like, um, you know, they, a lot of them use vacutators to pull blood where we like to use three mil syringes uh, and a 22 gauge needle. So, and like to be able to like kind of show each other things like that. Like that's kind of one of the cool educational things too. Is it like, it doesn't matter how old you are, how long you've been in the field thing you can learn from anything. <laughs> There's always something to learn. There's always somebody interested in learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, re- the, the reach can be local right there, or it can be mm-hmm. very far reaching as you learned with social media. And uh, something I always do is whenever I'm at uh, one of our local grocery store chain here, like Publix, of course, they always try to put everything in plastic bags and or anywhere I go and I bring my own my own totes and they always say uh, plastic bags and I say no 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 save a sea turtle and it's really I, I, it's just something I do and some some of them just look at me like I'm a weirdo but I'm really I'm, I'm pretty used to that uh but then other ones are like wow that's that's like a really you're right and it really uh, and I, I'm like yes please use that whenever wherever you go so say no to plastic bags save the sea turtles uh, just little things like that that you can do. And so, Jess, now that we've got everyone um, excited thinking about sea turtles and how we can help them in their environment or how we can help them from home, I was hoping you could give our listeners um, a way to learn more about the work that you're doing at the Brevard Zoo and the Sea Turtle Healing Center. So could you touch on how people can find you and what some of your wish list items are uh, to help rehabilitate these sea turtles and get them back out and swimming in the wild? So one of the first places I would check out is just our social media. Um, go look at our Facebook or Instagram under Brevard Zoo. There you're going to have some of the most um, recent information about what we're doing and then also about what the zoo is doing. The zoo doesn't just do amazing things with sea turtles. Um, we're also you know, helping the uh, grasshopper sparrow population and lots of cool things like that. So definitely check out the Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we have TikTok as well. If you want to help, um, I would go to brewardzoo.org. And when you go there right now, the first thing that you're going to see on that page is our legacy campaign. And what that is, is our um, funding for the aquarium that we want to open. And this aquarium is going to be pivotal to sea turtle rehab on the uh, central forest. So we, um, the the sea turtle healing center at the zoo won't shut down when we open up the one at the aquarium. It's going to be double the power, uh, which we need. I mean, we're getting, again, over 100 sea turtles a year. We're only seeing more and more, which, again, doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It could be because there are more and more turtles out there. There's more and more education about what to do when you find a turtle. So it's not it's not all bad, uh, but we need the extra space. And so uh, it, that's one way that you can help is um, by donating towards our legacy campaign. One other way is our wish list. Um, so if you want to check out our wish list, you can go to birdzoo.org and then go to support. And then you can go down to uh, ways to give. And our um, wish list is on there. You can also be a sea turtle guardian. If you donate $1,200 um, or $100 a month, you are put into our sea turtle guardian ranking. And um, again, all that money goes to 
the sea turtles. So um, one and like other ways that you can help sea turtles that is not monetary is just talk about them. You know, you have a, someone in your life who's a big fisherman. Take what you learned from this podcast, but talk to them or boaters. Talk to them about what you learned today. Um, it doesn't have to all be monetary or, you know, if you're not in Florida or around Burward Zoo, just volunteer. There's a lot of sea turtle um, organizations that need help. They need boots on the ground. So that's another way to help sea turtles. It isn't monetary because um, I know a lot of us can't do that. So, yeah, yeah, those are great suggestions. And like you said, your uh, your whole facility runs besides uh, you two young ladies. It runs on all of your volunteers. So yep. they're really, it's really, really important. And of course, there was a little volunteer short, shortage and issues during COVID, but most places have now moved, moved on from that and are accepting volunteers again, which is a great way to uh, get involved, hand, boots on the ground, that kind of thing. So, yeah. And ladies, before we say goodbye, uh, gosh, it's been just such, such a pleasure today uh, meeting you and learning all about your incredible work. I get emails a lot from people, uh, uh, the public that want to work with wildlife, uh, specifically some want to work with sea turtles. Uh, and so I was wondering as we close here, if you could give uh, some advice to someone that wants to get into the field of zookeeping or sea turtle rehabilitation. So uh, Shannon, I'll let you go first. Sure. I can, I've never been a zookeeper. Um, but um, from the rehab side and from working with wild animals and threatened and endangered species for most of my career, um, I would say to anyone, and I often tell interns, it doesn't matter, or, or people that we're mentoring, it doesn't matter their age. So um, middle school, high school, college, master's degrees, all the way up. If you are interested in science, follow that passion. Find a mentor. All of us need a mentor. So um, find a mentor. Oftentimes, especially when high school students are transitioning to college, they look at the college based upon, oh, I really want to go to this college. Well, why? You know, does the college have a professor that is interested in and in, in is doing research in what you want to research? If you really want to work with sea turtles, um, the University of Central Florida right here in Orlando actually has a marine turtle research group. So you can become part of that. Um, if you're really interested in sharks, uh, Florida Atlantic University has a really cool program for that. So I try to encourage people to do that. And if you're going to be a scientist, go ahead and just decide that you are going to get your master's degree. Don't even, you know, don't stop. Keep going. Um, so for the rehab side of things, though, um, oftentimes, these facilities um, are not in a zoo. So we're blessed to have two board certified zoo. That's right here. Like we literally are, uh, uh, we can talk to each other. There's one behind me right now, but we can actually. Um, Hi, doctor. I'm waving to him. He can't see me. <laughs> we're able. Right. He waved at you. So we're able to actually just call them either on a radio or we can, you know, talk down the hall and say, Hi. And um, we have a problem. So what's really great about that is in this facility and in a zoo setting, and there are more zoos coming online that actually will do seizure rehab or other animal rehab. Um, but what's fascinating to me is that oftentimes these facilities have a vet that's on call. So their veterinary technicians or veterinary nurses are the ones that are caring for these animals. 
So that is another avenue of where to go. So get into a CBT program. Here in Florida, it's not necessary to be credentialed or sit for your boards and have that degree. But a lot of institutions, especially here at the Brevard Zoo, we will be looking for that type of credential um, because it gives a level of expertise and knowledge that allows people to step in um, and do things um, at, we were looking for that higher level of standard. So for me, I'm not a veterinary technician. And I honestly, uh, my desire is to go back and do research. So I have that opportunity um, and I have over 20 years of experience with sea turtles. So it kind of translated into a great opportunity because I have this vet staff that's right here and I can ask them for assistance. So no matter what, and, and don't let someone tell you or think that you can't do it. Because it, for me, when I was, you know, Googling, hey, what, you know, what else can I do? You know, what I want, if I wanted to be in rehab and I saw that I, you know, oh, CBT, you know, required or, um, you know, that was something that made me feel like, well, I'm not capable or I'm not going to be eligible for it. What did I do? I went in and I volunteered. And I can tell you every job and every position that I've ever had most of the time has come from a situation where I was a person who knew, knew somebody knew me and knew the work that I have done in the past and said, yes, she is the right person for your position. So please um, communicate often with those people that you are spending time with, whether you're in an internship or if you meet somebody at a social event that happens to be related to the field that you would like to be in, shake hands, make connections, and make sure that um, you, I often tell our interns, keep me posted. What you, what are you doing? Like each semester, send me a little update so I know what's going on because then I can write a letter of recommendation for you if you would like and we can help you along. That's our, we are a teaching institution. And um, this is a very small, tight-knit sea turtle community of rehabbers. And we all communicate with each other. Um, we have a, an email all across the Atlantic seaboard all the way from St. Augustine down to Miami and further into the Keys where we're actually communicating with everybody saying, hey, what's going on? Have you seen this? Um, and it's just really wonderful that we're able to communicate because there's a lot of gray literature out there, things that are not quite published yet, um, but they're on, they're in the works and it takes a little while to get through that publishing process. So I would encourage anyone who wants to do something, especially if it's in the field of zoo medicine or into wildlife rehabilitation or sea turtle rehabilitation specifically, is to get out there, make the connection, volunteer. Um, we accept volunteers over the age of 18 back at the Sea Turtle Healing Center. We do have a zoo teen program through our zoo. And we take one zoo teen at the healing center every summer. But you are have to be a Brevard Zoo, zoo team first. Um, and then they are able to stay with us from during that summertime and have the opportunity to learn. And we've had a couple that have gone on to vet school because of their what they learned back here with us. So um, we look forward to mentoring students to be able to go off to do whatever medical field it is they choose to do. Wow. What a lucky teen. And I mean, what a great experience. And yes, volunteer, volunteer. And I agree, Shannon, you're never too old to go back to school. I went back to school in my early 30s. 
I'm uh, now a professor and currently I have um, uh, several students that are in their golden years and they are my best students. So, mm -hmm. okay, Jess. And now what, uh, what's some of your advice that you would, uh, you could offer uh, people, um, that, people that love sea turtles like you? Shannon uh, covered most of it already about being a certified veterinary nurse. Um, that's what, something that they're going to be looking for. And you're, and you're doing that really soon, right? Your boards? Yeah. So being a certified veterinary technician um, in this field, in rehab, doesn't matter if it's sea turtles, birds, any other wildlife, that's what they're really looking for. And, you know, unfortunately, when you go to school for cert to be a veterinary nurse, they are encompassing cats, dogs, horses, goats, sheep, cows, not sea turtles. So where you get that information through experience of volunteering or at your job. So for me, I was lucky enough to start very young at SeaWorld as an aquarist. Um, and I got all that experience while working. Um, I couldn't have imagined going to school full time. Um, when I decided to be a veterinary nurse, I had the opportunity of either quitting SeaWorld and going full-time student or staying and getting experience while doing part-time school. Um, was I stressed? Absolutely. <laughs> was it worth it? 100%. <laughs> so, you know, it, to, again, to get into this field, you need all of those little extra accoutrements to your CV to really uh, kick it up a notch because there's a lot of people who want to get into this field. And again, and you know, it's good to go to school to get this knowledge of veterinary nursing or being a veterinarian because you're working with live animals that are sick. You need to know what you're doing. It's not just so you can, you know, fluff up your, uh, your resume. It's because so you can know what to do in this situation if you have a turtle crashing in front of you. That's the important part. It's not not just the letters, but the letters that stand for, I know what to do in this situation. Um, I've been trained and I'm ready. So. Well, and good luck to you taking your boards here real soon. I'm sure <laughs> we are all, the whole All Creatures Podcast family team, we are rooting for you. It takes a village. You've got this. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a, I'm sure, it's, I know it's a lot of work to work full time and to do school and so. Uh, but the sea turtles appreciate all your effort and uh, you're going to, you're going to do great. You're going to, you're going to do great. It's going to be awesome. Thank you. Uh, and I just want to give a huge, huge uh, 500 pound sea turtle. Uh, thank you to you ladies for spending uh, this past hour or so with me today. I know it's the middle of your workday. You are both very busy. You have lots of patience. So thank you so much for helping educate myself and the All Creature Podcast listeners um, on what it's like to rehabilitate and release wild sea turtles and why they're so important to the environment. So thank you so much for being here today. Uh, and for all of our listeners out there, definitely you need to go to brevardzoo.org. Uh, you can check out the Sea Turtle Healing Center. Uh, that's the Sea Turtle Healing Center and or their legacy campaign. Uh, we'll be looking, All Creatures Podcast will be hopefully talking to some of uh, the uh, staff from Brevard Zoo about this upcoming aquarium project and this legacy campaign to help uh, generate some excitement about it. Because as uh, Shannon and Jess mentioned, it's just so critically important uh, for the sea turtles as they 
are caring for over 100 sea turtles a year and releasing a lot of them back into the wild. And it's expensive and time consuming, and they could definitely take more support, be it financially or emotionally, right, ladies? <laughs> so thank you so much uh, for being here with me today, Shannon and Jess. And let's stay in touch and um, save a sea turtle. Yep. We got four new ones uh, in the last 24 hours. So we're, we're working on it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Never a dull moment, right? Well, nope. Well, thank you, Shannon. Thank you, Jess. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. We always thank like you. to say flipper hugs oh, flipper to hugs. all of your, all the creatures, podcast viewers, and listeners. Oh, well, flipper hugs back to you right now. I'm doing them and healthy <laughs> flipper hugs, right? Yeah, so. healthy flipper hugs. <laughs> so thank you so much, ladies. We'll be in touch. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Sounds good. Bye.